Hi, this is Sean, and you're listening to Restitutio Offscript. And today, for our episode on consumerism, we are joined by a very exciting guest, Ruth Finnegan, my <laughs> wife. <laughs> Woo! Would you like to say hi? Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be here. And also, Dan Fitzsimmons and Rose Ryder. So we have a full complement of participants today, and... What we're talking about is this notion that you have to keep buying and that the thrill of buying something new, even when you don't need it, is what drives our economy. It's what drives our sense of success and the way we think about our value and how we feel happy or safe or compare ourselves to others. So consumerism is a powerful attitude. It not only fuels our economy, but ends up bombarding us with ads. And it's one of these forces that's scripting our value system. It's changing and nudging our sense of what's normal to be different than what it would be otherwise. And so I want to begin by mentioning this brief little clip from Seinfeld where Jerry Seinfeld is explaining how absolutely absurd advertisements are sometimes where they will put his example here is a ratchet set for sale and they will put these beautiful scantily clad women next to it and how the consumer looks at the ratchet set and he looks at the beautiful women and he looks at the ratchet set and he says hmm I see the beautiful women I want the beautiful women. Maybe if I buy the ratchet set, right. <laughs> the beautiful women will like me. And, of course, that's absolutely absurd, but it works over and over again. Beautiful women sell stuff across the land. And that's to just... To be fair, so do beautiful men. And so do beautiful <laughs> men. Thank you. And uh, that's just part of this consumerism. So let's, let's talk about some benefits of consumerism before we look at its many detriments. You guys have any thoughts? Consumerism, it could be argued, has led to an increase in the quality of life. I mean, you think about a dishwasher. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to operate a dishwasher than it is to do a sink full of dishes, and it makes your life easier. And, you know, you talk about heat and hot water, and, you know, th those are all sort of consumeristic things that didn't exist centuries and centuries ago. And, and as the quality of life gets better, and this technology sort of gets out into into the masses and, and and people more and more people adopt it and more and more different classes adopt it it really raises the quality of life for people i remember this story my dad told about the time he went to china and i think it was in the 80s and he was struck by how communism worked itself out in the outerwear of chinese people hmm. and he told me how everyone had the same coat and how the government just assigned people a coat based on whatever size it was, and they all essentially looked the same. And how drab the society appeared to him as a Westerner. Consumerism is almost the exact opposite of that. It's not just that you should buy a shirt, but that you should buy a shirt that expresses who you are. Well, and you mm. want to stand out. You want to be unique and yeah. cutting edge. You want to be an individual. Yeah. Right, right. I list that as a benefit of consumerism where people are able to express and be part of a more colorful society because they're not all wearing the same shirt mm -hmm. or the same coat. 
But also buying stuff is thrilling. fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. There yeah. is that thrill when you get that shiny new thing. And you're opening it up and it's in that really hard plastic. You almost cut your hand, but you finally get it open <laughs> and, and you're able to use it. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's definitely all, there's a whole genre of YouTube videos called unboxing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's true. Where it's like you can almost like get and the, it's 15 minutes long. Right. Everyone, it's like right. you're, you're opening something, man. Calm down. And you almost get like the residual high from that person's yeah. unboxing experience, or even more seductive, the thrill of the hunt. When you mm. when you find a deal mm-hmm. and then you get that I'm all about that. You get that, <laughs> you get that excitement where, you know, you've just sort of got something of value that you didn't have to pay full price for. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have like a million tabs open on my browser when I'm looking at different products and comparing oh, yeah. them and I go from one tab to the other, looking at them all, finally closing tabs out slowly as I like narrow in. It is thrilling. Another benefit is the philanthropic branch of consumerism, things like Tom's Shoes and other organizations yeah, that can Warby actually Parker. take advantage of everyone's sort of consumer drive um, and do a lot of good in the world. Also, in developing countries, there can be a lot of abuse feeding the, the hunger of consumerism, but done right, it can provide developing countries sort of a foot up. All right, so what are some downsides of consumerism? How much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> I think just the sheer accumulation, you know, that... You can have 300 shirts probably or endless pairs of pants and now your closet is bursting and you still don't have anything to wear. Yeah, that mindset that you don't have anything to wear whereas somebody in a very poor country would take that idea and scoff at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What do you mean you don't have anything to wear? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I need a different dress for every wedding that I'm going to go to this summer. There's pressure. I remember a time that Ruth and I went to Africa and we encountered a man in a village who was wearing a Boy Scout uniform, complete with all the patches the and, and <laughs> the little clip-on medals. And it was pretty clear that he had no idea what any of the symbols meant. He was just wearing his best, his Sunday best. Right. And he and was proud of it. Very proud, smiling, like, check out this outfit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You remember that other guy we saw with one flip-flop? Mm-hmm. And can you imagine having only one flip-flop and yet he wore it? And yeah. it's like, well, this one foot's <laughs> going to be cushioned. <laughs> there is definitely a mindset involved in this whole thing. One of the major detriments to consumerism is that there's this whole industry and science built around how to manipulate people into buying things that in many, if not most cases, they don't need. You know, I'm talking about marketing and the way that if you look back historically at how marketing has grown, you have now all sorts of tricks that are employed by marketing firms from putting the words new on a package. And there was a study done and and it found that putting new on a package or on a product that wasn't even new increased sales by, you know, X amount like that. That's, you know, that's a marketing study that, that exists out there. And there's just this sort of whole industry built around like figuring out new and better ways to exploit people's tendency to consume. You know, that's what Facebook's business model is built on. As far as I know, they sell data on spending habits and browsing habits and Google. I think that's a big part of their economic plan. There's something dehumanizing about that. You're not a person. You're put on earth to spend and maximizing your spending ability and potential is, is that's a job that's out there. A lot of people have that job. You also look at how products are designed these days. They're designed to go bad or to... To expire. I, I come across this all the time. Products are designed so that you can't fix them. 
and I have a background in engineering, and so I like fixing things, and especially electronics. They make things so that they don't have screws a lot of times, because if they have screws, then you can unscrew them and take it apart and <laughs> order something, some missing part, and fix it, or improvise some other part, or build your own from parts you might have elsewhere. And we have a disposable mindset and a whole strategy called planned obsolescence where products are designed to fail because if they don't fail, you won't buy another one after so many years. And if you don't buy another one, that company is eventually going to go out of business because it has to continue to keep selling and not only the same amount, it has to grow every year or else it dies. There's a systemic issue here where... (laughs) Every year you have to sell more than the year before. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. is that how long can you keep that up? Mm-hmm. And going back to what you said about things that are designed to fail after a certain amount of time, in New York recently, Apple, the computer company, blocked a piece of legislation that would require them to disclose information on how to r- repair their products. The idea being that if your Apple breaks, mm-hmm. you're not taking it to, you know, Joe's tech world. Uh, where you can get it fixed for $50, you're taking it to the Apple store and they'll fix it for you for $200. Mm-hmm. And there was a piece of legislation and, and Apple absolutely squashed it. Wow. Speaking of Apple, it reminds me of the mania when a new product is released oh, yeah. <laughs> and people line up. And you know darn well a bunch of those people don't have the money to buy whatever it is they are going to buy. Yeah, And they're buying it on credit and they're going to be in debt and... Their old product, whether an iPad, iPhone, whatever, it probably works just fine still. And there's that excitement of having the newest phone or the newest whatever, the newest car that people chase after. The problem with it is it does deliver you a sense of excitement a sense of superiority over others that are not yet with it as much as you are. But in the end, ultimately, that same very thing gets old, ceases to satisfy you, and ends up in the garbage, just like the last one. (laughs) So I think that's a real downside to consumerism is it's filling the landfills Mm. and it's promising something that it can't actually deliver, which is lasting satisfaction. I was like, you're always searching for that next high, you know, yeah. the next product, the newest color, whatever it is, and it fades inevitably. Humans are designed, I believe, to worship things. And when in the absence of, of God, the things that we worship oftentimes wind up being products to absurd degrees. I mean, America is a, is a joke every Black Friday the world laughs at us at how yeah. like disgusting we act, you know, at, at doorbusters, they call them doorbuster sales. Cause there's so many people that the doors bust mm-hmm. and people have been trampled <laughs> to death. I mean, that is ridiculous. Yeah. It's to get a deal to get a deal mm-hmm. before everyone else, <clears throat> probably a new TV and they already have five of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, how many do you need? Mm-hmm. Consumerism functions on the sleight of hand, trading the good life for the goods life. I love how Tim Jackson put it in his TED Talk. He says, the point is to spend money we don't have on things we don't need to create impressions that won't last on people we don't care about. (laughs) Wow, that's devastating. Mm -hmm. It is so true. Like The people that you show off your new whatever to, they're people you don't even really 
have a relationship most of the time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they're strangers. You buy Beats by Dre headset to, uh, <laughs> to walk around and, and show off that you have the newest, hottest thing. Have you ever heard of a Birkin bag? No. I've heard of Birkenstocks. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of Birkenstocks, too. A Birkin bag, it is the premier handbag for women for 30 years. The I've cheapest. never heard of it. Uh, I'm telling yeah. you, I, I heard a whole... Sean planet. knows about these things. <laughs> <laughs> what? I heard a whole Planet Money podcast on it. Uh, the cheapest you could get it for is $10,000. And they, they average more like sixty grand. And the crazy thing about this product is you can't buy it. You go into an Hermes store and you ask for a Birkin bag and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we're all out. And they do that universally because they want people not to be able to have access to the product because... They could make more, but they don't because it drives people crazy. That and mythology. They more, <laughs> and they find ways to get it. And, uh, it's like the Disney vault. Yeah. There's a story of this guy. He was in Japan on business, and he, his wife really wanted a Birkin bag. And he, he just – and one of the rules is you can't buy it for yourself. But, like, if you're going to buy it for somebody else, they're more likely to let you have one. <laughs> and this is you, – you're paying sixty grand for this thing. Yeah. It's a handbag. It's a purse. To put things in. <laughs> <laughs> But if you're on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and you're a, uh, an aspiring, powerful woman and you have one of these bags, the other women know it. And they look at you and they're just like, she's got it together. I better not mess with her. Yeah. And it's a status symbol. Anyhow, this guy's in Japan and he's requesting the bag and it's for his wife and it's a gift. And, and the Japanese, they're just like, no, I'm sorry, we don't have any. He's like, you don't understand. I really, I need this bag. I really need it. And, you know, the Japanese culture is such a polite culture. You just, that's already over the line. Mm-hmm. And then like a third time, he says, no, I need this bag. And he's like putting it on there really thick, like a good American consumer. <laughs> <Hagler. laughs> and eventually he just wears them down and they, they sell him a bag and he comes wow. home and she, she gets her Birkin bag. But I mean, this kind of phenomenon, I mean, what is that? It's just a desire to be part of this exclusive club. Because what is a luxury product after all? Luxury product is not something that's well-made or expensive. It's something that not everyone can have. Something that's Mm -hmm. exclusive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole industry of these sorts of products. And it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) At least not to me. No. It doesn't draw me in. (laughs) Another problem with consumerism is that it oftentimes dehumanizes relationships. So take, for example, the telemarketer. When the telemarketer calls you, the telemarketer dehumanizes you. They don't look at you as a person. They look at you as a number, the next number that's probably going to hang up on them. But regardless, as soon as you answer the phone and they confirm identification, they are off to the races with their canned speech they don't care who you are. They just want to tell you what they think will interest you to buy their product. That's a dehumanizing product. And I experienced this myself. I used to work retail on commission. And I remember in my store, the big thing was cell phones. You got all this extra kickbacks and bonuses for every cell phone you sold. But we also sold other things like phone batteries, blah. The commission on a phone battery is probably like a nickel, all right? Whereas like on a cell phone, and this is some years ago, so these numbers probably be different today, but a cell phone would give you like 20 bucks, whereas a phone battery would give you a nickel. So you see an old lady walking in with a brown paper bag, you go the other way. Yeah, you don't, you she don't doesn't want a get, cell phone. You don't want to get stuck with her because she's going to take your time, she's not going to know what she's doing, and basically you, you marginalize 
people that you think can't benefit you. And look, that is an unhealthy relational way of operating. And often it's wrong. What if that lady w- did want a f- cell phone? Yeah, it's because uh, you <laughs> you're that? making a, yeah, yeah. you're making assumptions mm-hmm. about people, and and oftentimes because you're a fallible person, you're wrong. What else do we have about this <clears throat> problems with it? Most people have lots of debt. School debt mm. is considered mm-hmm. to be okay. Yeah. But still, now students are getting into thousands and thousands, I mean, $20,000, $60,000 in debt. And that's not with credit cards either. Then you top the credit cards that they have and probably filled with things that they don't really need. And they're looking at years and years of bondage and stress. Mm-hmm. And from a purely pragmatic perspective, it goes on to destroy your credit score. Your debt gets worse and worse because your interest rates get higher and higher as you're viewed as more of a risk. And then you have less options. Right. I see that as a huge hidden flaw with debt is that it limits your freedom. It puts you into slavery to the debt and it limits what sort of life you can have as a result of it. One of the most insidious problems with debt, it angers me and I think it angers a lot of people, is the system is designed to keep you in debt. Uh, Mm -hmm. They don't want you to pay your credit card on time. Mm -hmm. And, And debt makes it so you have to pay more for things. Yeah. Down the road, I just bought a car and, and it's going to cost me $3,000 more than because I had to borrow money to do it. 3000 more than the sticker price, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I meant. So consumerism and debt, the relationship between that is designed to make you want something that you don't necessarily have the money for. And then once you do acquire it, you're paying it off for years and years and years. And you're meanwhile acquiring more things. And it's just a cycle that perpetuates. And I've had friends of mine that have had serious credit card debt and have been, you know, working to get out of it. And I don't have any numbers in front of me, but I think credit card debt is is a huge part of, you know, the overall economic landscape in America and probably other countries as well. The total owed, according to the internet, (laughs) (laughs) the the all-seeing eye of the internet. (laughs) That's a source. The internet, according uh, to internet. Okay, so the 2015 American Household Credit Card Debt Study found that the total owed by average U.S. household carrying a debt for credit cards is $15,762. That is the average... Per household? Per household American wow. debt. And that's just credit card debt. Just credit cards. Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. mortgage The average car mortgage payment. is $168,000. The average auto loan per household is $27,000. And the average student loans per household is $48,000. That's overwhelming. It's almost a half million dollars of <laughs> debt. Mm-hmm. debt. Yeah. I mean, how do you get yourself out of a hole like that? I would be totally stressed out. All right. So let's talk about the relational aspect just a little bit here because I want to quote Tim Keller and uh, that's my segue to do it. So <laughs> Tim Keller says... Sociologists argue that in contemporary Western society, the marketplace has become so dominant that the consumer model increasingly characterizes most relationships that historically were covenantal, including marriage. Today, we stay connected to people only as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. When we cease to make a profit, that is, when the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we are getting back, Then we cut our losses and drop the relationship. This has also been called commodification, 
a process by which social relationships are reduced to economic exchange relationships. And so the very idea of covenant is disappearing in our culture. Covenant is therefore a concept that is increasingly foreign to us, and yet the Bible says it is the essence of marriage. So in other words, what, what Keller's saying here is that within marriage itself, the covenantal model of doing a relationship is where the foundation of that relationship is a commitment, is a promise to be together till death do us part. You know, the traditional marriage. Yeah, it's unconditional. Well, it's till death do us part. So there's right. a, so there's the, so there's the <laughs> ultimate condition. condition. And within the Christian perspective, obviously adultery is another condition. But in our society today, a lot of times what people are doing is they have this relationship with the grocer where, hey, if the one across the street is going to offer the same product at a cheaper cost, there's no reason not to go there. Why not just break that relationship with this grocer and go across the street to the other one? Mm-hmm. Might as well, right? If we bring that mindset into the marriage, then we end up in a situation that ultimately results in incredible relational pain and brokenness. And whether somebody has just a purely naturalistic or a spiritual view of it, either way, we can agree that forces that tear apart marriages are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's exactly what consumerism can easily do, that mindset of consumerism when it infects the relationship. Mm-hmm. This idea of commodification also impacts other romantic relationships that are you know, kind of like before marriage. Talk about the rise of Tinder and before that so much online dating. And while it can be good and while you can uh, meet a spouse with whom you can glorify God for the rest of your life through these things, very often you see the rise of commodification and looking at the specs of people the way you would look at the specs of a product. Comparing Shopping for people. Mm. Yeah, comparing. And that being viewed as totally acceptable, everyone's doing it. And again, you know, you're looking to see what you can get out of it. It all comes from a selfish point of view. That's the root of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How am I going to please myself? How am I going to get the most out of this situation? That's not what's best for even yourself. It doesn't even satisfy you. No. Mm -hmm. And it's not good for society. It's not good for relationships, especially marriage. Right. So let's talk about what the Bible has to say about consumerism. And the first thing that's on my mind is the Ten Commandments. Because the 10th commandment is you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's stuff. Your neighbor's Mercedes. Your neighbor's <laughs> Mercedes. God deals with this issue right from the start with his people and says, look, just don't covet. And covet is wanting something that somebody else has, regardless of if you need it or not. In First Timothy 6, Paul totally flips on its head the notion of great gain instead of the products of your life or the possessions of your life. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. It's interesting where he sets the bar, um, not the Mercedes in your yard and not a Not pool, even a house. Not <laughs> even a house, right. Not that's, even two cloaks. Yep. <laughs> that's very minimalistic there. And thinking about the essentials that you need for your body as well as God being your portion. It's a radical view. Products are nice. I'm not here to to condemn people that buy things. I buy things. (laughs) But it's gotten to such a level where it's a huge part of our lives. And it's got so little to do with with what the Bible says about being a Christian and about loving people. Well, I think, too, it's like here we accumulate all this stuff. And then a whole other mindset is protecting it. Mm. You're not going to take my stuff. You know, you're not going to park too close to my car. You might bang it or ding it. And 
and really our mindset as a Christian should be, if I have something that you need, I will give it to you mm. without a second thought. We should be givers and lovers of people and all of this stuff doesn't matter. Throughout times in my life, God really taught me that, you know, you need to give. You're holding on really tightly to this thing, but it doesn't mean anything. You need to just give it away. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, I think the question is, do you own your possessions or do your possessions own mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Rose, on what you read there from the Apostle Paul, if we can somehow adjust our minds so that our standard is just food and clothing, we will be the most thankful people on the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because We have so much of just that. You yeah, know? <laughs> because that's not even an issue in our society, right? at least not generally, at least not in this country. And gratitude is the antidote to greed. Mm -hmm. If you are content, if you are thankful, then you're not fussing about what you don't have Mm -hmm. and what you want to get. And that takes intentionality. It takes grabbing your mind when you feel the, the pull of whatever product you somehow are being advertised and you say to yourself, wait a second, I have a car or I already have shoes and my shoes are good. There's nothing wrong with my shoes. They don't have holes in them. They're not hurting my feet. I should be thankful for the shoes I have. And somehow if we could, if we could work our minds around to be gratitude based, I think it would really free and the other thing you said Ruth about generosity gratitude and generosity mm-hmm. I think those are the two ways to kill inappropriate consumerism not that buying is wrong obviously there's nothing wrong with purchasing something that you need or even something that you want mm-hmm. the problem is the mindset of consumerism that says I need that new thing because of my desire for novelty or because of my desire to find satisfaction in it or because of my desire to impress my neighbors that I don't even talk to or invite over for dinner, but I want them to see my new ride-on lawnmower because that will really show them what kind of status their neighbor is Mm -hmm. and all that nonsense. This whole mindset of conspicuous consumption as a way of establishing status, I mean, that is absolutely anti-gospel, anti-God. And like Rose said before, God is our portion. Ultimately, in the end, everything else is not going to last except for our relationship with God. That Mm. is the only thing that will last forever. And when you adopt this hyper-consumeristic mindset, one of the things you're doing, in addition to damaging yourself, is saying to God, you're not enough that you're not my portion and I need more. Mm -hmm. I think there can be a really cool integrated mindset as a Christian when you get something new. (laughs) I feel this way about the shower. I don't know how you guys feel about the shower. Can't wait to hear this. I want to hear this, right? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I recognize that for most of history, most people have not had the shower Mm -hmm. option. And so when I stand in the shower in the morning with that incredibly soothing hot water on my skin, I think to myself, thank God yeah. mm-hmm. for showers, <laughs> right? And I, I realize this is, in a sense, a consumer product, right? I'm paying for the water. 
I paid for the water heater in the basement. If it breaks, I have to buy a new one. I'm paying for the gas that heats the water heater in the basement. And maybe we don't think of it as a consumer good, but it is a consumer service or experience. Mm -hmm. But I don't think to myself, I wish I had a bigger shower head or a marble tub or whatever. I don't know if there are marble tubs, but like whatever (laughs) accessory... But wait, now there's a marble tub. Whatever accessory HGTV wants me to buy. Right. But the thing is, I stand in that shower and I say, thank God for giving people the ingenuity to make this possible. You know, and I think you can have a, a gratitude about your house, about your car, about stuff that is God glorifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even you know, I don't think it's like you have your consumer realm and your stuff and your material possessions, and then you have your faith in a separate category. I think it should be integrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to be an ascetic, but I think you should be grateful with what God gives you. I've read uh, minimalist blogs from time to time, and especially for Christians uh, who t- decide to live the minimalist lifestyle. And for them. It can't be its own idolatry. It has to be something that you do for God because right. that can, in you fact, can, lead to its so own idolatry. You go so far the other way. Right, right, exactly. But they do talk about the gratitude aspect, being incredibly grateful for you know the four plates that they own. And then they talk about the time that they have, not caring for their stuff, mm. not being in bondage to their stuff so much, and then having nothing left to focus on but relationships. Yeah. I want to read a verse, uh, Matthew six nineteen to 21 says do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal Mm. for where your treasure is there your heart will be also do you really want your heart to be in your possessions like even from a like Mm. a non-biblical non-christian point of view do you really want your heart to be rooted in what you own Mm -hmm. and you open yourself up to ruin well, it's so fragile. Yeah. I mean, stuff falls apart. Happens. Yeah. You know, it's like something gets scratched. You know, is that going to ruin your whole day? I hope not. My heart should be on something else, not on my stuff. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from love of money mm. and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? Hmm. <laughs> Isn't mm-hmm. that just a tremendous mindset? Yeah, so bold. That if we can just somehow keep our lives free from the love of money. I mean, money has a place. You need to use money. There is a Christian mindset to handling money and generosity and being responsible and stewardship, right? But at the same time, we can't give in to the allure, the seductive allure of money to love money for the sake of money and be stingy in the sense of worrying about the numbers in our bank account when there's somebody right in front of us in great need. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the whole parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man was sitting there in his nice mansion, feeding on the most scrumptious foods of the day, enjoying the delicious dainties of his delicate lifestyle. And there's Lazarus at the gate, covered in sores with dogs licking his wounds who wished that he could just be filled with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And Jesus uses this story to teach that these two people, although in their society they might have thought, oh, the rich man is blessed by God because look how much stuff he has, and the poor man must be cursed by God. The poor man's name is Lazarus, which means 
helped of God, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and their fates end up reversing, and God blesses Lazarus, and the rich man ends up in torment. So what does that story teach us? It teaches us that, look, you can't buy into that consumeristic mindset that says getting more, getting more, getting more is somehow a good thing or blessed by God. You have to have your wealth towards God. Or in another parable that Jesus tells, he says that the person who stores up for himself more and more and more and says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be then? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus is not talking about not having wealth at all. What he's talking about is having wealth to the exclusion of being rich towards God, of doing the things that God wants us to do. God can and does entrust people with wealth. Throughout Scripture, we see this. But when that happens, it has to come along with gratitude and generosity. And if it doesn't, then it's blocking you from God, and you're falling into the category of the camel entering the eye of the needle, which mm-hmm. is what Jesus said it would be like for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Can any of you think of a time when you gave something away and you felt free because of it? Yes. I had a necklace that I loved, and it was green, and it had a butterfly on it. Mm-hmm. And my friend Rita loved this necklace and I didn't want to give it to her. And like, I recognized in my heart that this was something I really wanted to hold on to. I like, I loved this necklace and then God worked in me and he was like, you need to give it to her. And I think I pondered it for a little while, (laughs) but then I did it. And, and I knew that I was doing it with a pure heart and I knew it was something God wanted me to do. And I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And, and the funny thing is, is, you know, she wore it for a while and she's like, it's not really me. And she gave it back to me. (laughs) And so then it was like, I was so thankful. And God just taught me so much in that one incident. And even like, you know, funny things, like if a friend wanted to borrow socks or like a hair thing, I'd be like, well, you're going to give it back. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think over time, God just taught me like, you can't hold on to this stuff. God has given us everything that we have. And we wouldn't have anything without him. And he also is so rich to be able to bless us in ways that we don't even know. So give and be a blessing to others. You reminded me of this story about Rick Warren when he wrote his purpose-driven life and purpose-driven church books. He suddenly started making incredible amounts of money, Mm. just sold millions and millions of these books. And I am honestly not a Rick Warren fan, but I recognize that you can tell a lot about somebody by how they handle money. And what he decided to do was the first thing, and he he shared this on a TED Talk. So this is public knowledge. He decided the first thing he would do is pay back the church all of the money that they had ever paid him in his entire career, all his salary. And then he and his wife decided they're not going to change their lifestyle. They're going to continue living in the same house. They're not going to buy a fancy new car. Or I mean, this guy's making crazy money. He could buy a mansion and whatever car he wanted. And he's like, no, I'm going to continue living the way I have been living. And 
he decided to reverse tithe. So he's going to live off 10% of the money and give away 90%. That's amazing. I mean, talk about someone who's free. Mm. Yeah. I mean, who among us? Yeah. That's a good question. Who among us could do that? (laughs) You know, and it's not like he's in want right now or anything like that. I mean, he's still comfortable, but that's the thing about money. No matter how much you have, you always think you need more. Mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciate that example of Rick Warren and I applaud his biblical testimony there. Mm. There is this incredible truth. Jesus said himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I think we, we need to tap into that. And when we do, we break this straitjacket of consumerism. And that idea of more blessed to give to receive, that they've done studies about how true that is, like where, you know, they give somebody $5 and you'd have to go buy, you know, something for yourself. And then the other side of the experiment was you have to buy something for somebody else. And mm-hmm. the people that crossed the board that gave and bought something for somebody else reported higher levels of happiness and it's not an idea that's strictly found in the bible and like you have to be a christian to believe it. it's born out in how the human mind and, and and soul works right right and it makes sense that since god designed us he knows how to operate that human mind and soul optimally any other final thoughts on consumerism i think it's very important not to join um just the wave of peer pressure Um, Because that's another way it hurts relationships is, I I mean, I think the most powerful form of marketing is peer pressure and the people around you. And I think it's very um, important for us to be sensitive to that and to let each other know that we are enough with what we have and uh, that we don't need Birkin bags Mm -hmm. um, to be desirable (laughs) to each other. But Samwell Leather Wallace. I was going to say, I'll take a Samwell, you know. (laughs) Some things are necessities, (laughs) other things. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think peer pressure, you look at it as, well, this isn't a marketer trying to influence me. It's it's my friends and, yeah. you know, my family. But in reality, you know, they could have been influenced by marketer. And, and I agree that it is a very, and the most powerful form of marketing. And you have to see that filter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. This is scripting us. This is a filter foisted over our eyes without us realizing it. We wake up and the glasses are already on. The bazillion billboards radio commercials, TV commercials, ads and magazines and all over the internet are bombarding us constantly trying to convince us that we don't have enough and trying to instill fear in us and trying to make us dissatisfied so that we buy. And this force in the world is not for our good. It is for the corporation's good. It is for Mm. the company's good. And we need to be, what Jesus says, is harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. Mm. And in this area, it's easy to fall into this because even if you know it, even if you know it, you can fall into it because you just let your vigilance down a little bit. And before you know it, you're buying the extra fancy whatever so that so-and-so will see it, even though the other one is perfectly good or what you already have meets your needs so uh, we want to definitely honor god with how we buy things and see through the fear-based thinking of not having enough the absurd pressure to keep up with the joneses or the kardashians and (laughs) prioritize what's really important which is loving god and people not stuff so that's it for today thanks for listening visit reststudio.org leave us some feedback tell us what you think We'd love to listen to what you have to say and incorporate it into future episodes. So thank you.
Thanks so much for listening, guys. Adieu. Bye, guys. It was great being here. And let's give it up for Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> Say it's a lot harder than it looks. Or-